Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. My name is Peter Englert. I am one of the co-hosts of the show. I am here with our phenomenal producer, Nathan Yoder. And today we are doing the final uh, installment of a series on work with the company Leader. And Leader is L-E-A-D-R. And just a reminder, we are brought to you by Browncroft Community Church. This series is brought to you by Leader. We exist to ask the questions that people don't feel comfortable asking in church. And I'm fairly certain that you have probably have asked this question, why do the people I work with drive me nuts? Today, we have a phenomenal guest who has an awesome story. His name is Jeremy Bonet. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, chatting with him. Jeremy, welcome to Why God Why. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. And nice work pronouncing the last name. Most people butcher that one. Well, you you gave me some good prep, so I got to give you credit. You know, must be leader, must be leader. (laughs) Hey, you know, before we dive into this question, um, introduce yourself to listeners, you know, where did you grow up and then how did you end up in leader? Yeah. Uh, well, I grew up in Seattle, Washington area. I was born in Hawaii. I, I, I throw that out as a, as a humble brag, but I, I moved at three months, spent most of my life in Seattle area and uh, was there until about 18, uh, and then found my way to uh, Arkansas, of all places, through a pretty kind of unconventional uh, manner or story, which I'm happy to, to share. And uh, was there for a few few years uh, for college and, and with my wife. And then uh, after traveling New Zealand, went to, back to Seattle, joined the company, Push Pay, was there for a few years, met some incredible people, uh, Matt Tresser, Chris Heaslip, me and two of those who started uh, Leader and uh, came to me a couple of years ago about this crazy idea. And uh, those are the types of folks when, you, when, they, when they invite you to, to do something, you don't ask too many questions. Uh, and that's what, that's what happened with me. I said, I'm in, let's do it. Uh, so I have the privilege of, uh, of leading our sales organization here. Uh, there's about 15 of us uh, in the sales side uh, and we're all, all in on this mission of helping develop leaders. Um, and that's for me something I'm super passionate about because I've seen the impact of really good leaders in my life, seeing something in me that I didn't always see in myself and helping draw that out of me. And unfortunately, I've also seen the, the flip side of that, uh, leaders who, um, you know, maybe were, were passive uh, and didn't believe and didn't invest uh, in the impact that had on me uh, and organization. So that's why I'm here. That's why I'm fired up about what I get to do uh, from a professional standpoint. And then on the personal side, uh, my wife, Anna, and I have a, a two-year-old. His name's Brennan. And then we have another one on the way. So really passionate about uh, building a multi-generational family on mission. Uh, just a side note, is Brennan named after Brennan Manning or? <laughs> People have asked that. He's he's not. Uh, I don't even think Anna knows who Brennan Manning is. So, no, we, we, uh, we I don't know how we came up with it. It just kind of clicked and it was early on. We're still looking for another name for our second one. So, Peter, if you have any ideas, let me know. We're all ears. <laughs> Oh, I, I won't do that to you, but someday I'll tell you the story of how we landed at names uh, for our two daughters. 
you know, it's interesting. Your son's name's Brennan and Brennan Manning. And I think people, if you're still listening to this episode, you're probably intrigued because you're saying to yourself, I work with people that drive me nuts. I, I haven't met someone that says that they haven't, but I think Jeremy, you bring something very unique. Um, you know, Brennan Manning's actually, you know, fairly uh, important to the Christian world. He was in recovery, uh, dealt with alcohol. And, um, you know, even when he was healthy, there's actually some stories about him. And as we think about this question, you have a very similar story to Brennan, um, which I think frames how you respond to this question. Why don't you share that story with us? Yeah, thanks for asking and thanks for giving me the opportunity to share it. Uh, well, let's just put it this way. At, at uh, 18 years old, I uh, was woken up from a nap from my dad for a family meeting, which uh, is not typical. So I walk into the, the family room and everybody in my family is there. But the, the seat that my dad typically sits in uh, was kind of the sacred dad seat was empty uh, and he was in another place. So at that point, I knew something was a little off. Uh, I'd actually walked into an intervention, um, exactly like you see on the TV shows. Essentially, it was, hey, you got two options. You can go get help uh, or you're on your own. And long story short, uh, my life at that point had become a train wreck um, and it manifested itself in uh, addiction in, in, in a few different forms, but really was stuck in a shame-guilt cycle uh, where uh, shame says I am bad and uh, I would go to uh, different kind of vehicles to kill that, that pain and that shame and it worked for a period of time, right? Uh, and then, of course, it would wear off and I would have even more shame uh, than I did previously. And that was a snowball effect that led me to that point. Um, and I knew I needed help. And so I, I took him up on the offer uh, and found myself in Arkansas about seven hours later, <laughs> a place that I didn't even know how to pronounce. I didn't even know if you pronounce the S at the, at the end of Arkansas. So uh, a huge shock, obviously, but uh, it changed my life. It was extremely, extremely humbling and extremely uh, challenging, but um, was what I needed to uh, get back on track. Um, and it was a Christ-based rehab center. So I was able to really kind of reestablish my relationship with God. And he was able to, you know, bring me back um, from, a, from a really hopeless and humble uh, spot where I realized that I couldn't do this any longer by myself. I needed, I needed the power of Christ in my life. Um, to, to work through a lot of the things I, I, I had gone through and a lot of the shame that I was carrying. And so for me, when it comes to work, I think it's the reality that, you know, I have a story and I just shared probably a minute version of it, right? But everybody has a story. Uh, and it might not look exactly like that, but I think if we're all honest, we would, we would love for others to take the time to ask the questions to understand what that story is, right? And so I appreciate you asking it. Um, and it's, it's definitely shaped who I am um, today. And it, and it shapes how I go about relationships because I want to know, hey, what drives you? What are some of the failures, shortcomings, uh, victories that you've had that, that have um, shaped who you are today and where you are today, right? You know, um, 
you're you're a good interviewee because you're like, well, let's get back to the topic, but I, I'm going to push you a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, happy to dig into the story for sure. You know, because um, I, I think it'd be really, really helpful to our listeners. Um, you know, you and I had a pre-conversation and I kind of asked your permission and you know, he said to me, you're like, you brought up the shame part and you said, hey, like, I hate kind of saying, hi, my name's Jeremy, I'm an alcoholic or, you know, deal. And, and also too, you know, you, I mean, you're someone that played a lot of sports. I, I think I remember you, you know, saying to go to, go to college for baseball. You know, I, I think it'd be helpful for our listeners to have that context because, you know, in some ways, you know, you can take this sports mindset to work um, and what you're doing in sales, but actually dismiss the whole story part. And somehow you have to kind of partner all these things together. So, you know, bring us up with that story, but also, you know, help guide us to how you kind of manage that whole tension. Yeah, I mean, to your your initial point, for me, it really was more about the the shame cycle I was in that manifested itself in addiction. Now, whether I'm an alcoholic or an addict, I think a lot of people have really strong opinions on that. I prefer uh, to um, to not label myself in that way. I think labels can really easily become self-fulfilling um, prophecies, right? And so th that was the behavior that manifested itself, um, not necessarily something I think God has put on me uh, as a label, right? So I wanted to to speak uh, to that and and just to kind of um, uh, touch on the the story a little bit further. After I went through this rehab program, I was looking for you know, new passions that were healthy, right? That didn't involve um, regret and pain. And so uh, after that program, I got inspired to hike the Appalachian Trail. And speaking of leaders, this came from, from the inspiration I got from uh, one of my leaders who was at the rehab, who had also hiked the Appalachian Trail and found a lot of, of fulfillment and peace through that experience. And so I got fired up about that. I went out and hiked uh, from Georgia to Maine. Uh, and for me, that was kind of a monumental and uh, formational time because I was looking for something healthy that I was passionate about. And I found that through the outdoors. So even to this day, I am deeply passionate about uh, freedom through the outdoors, peace through the outdoors, and also helping um, others get out there as well to experience the same. Uh, but, but after that, I went and played baseball to your point at, at Harding university Harding's in Arkansas. It's right next to the rehab that uh, I went to. And, um, you know, I had played baseball growing up, but I went back because I, I, I didn't want to live with regret. Like I didn't want to have that question, Hey, what could have been if I had given my all and if I was fully focused on and off the field, um, and, you know, I went there, I walked on, I made the team, was able to play for, for three years, uh, met my wife there. She's incredible. We've now been married for nine years. But then um, after Harding, uh, I was able to go back to the rehab that I had gone through and, and give back uh, and invest in those guys. Uh, and, and the way I thought about it is like, if I can make half the impact that others made in me, 
uh, and speak half the encouragement and life and belief in them that was spoken into me, then, you know, I'm serving a noble purpose. And so uh, that was extremely fulfilling, challenging for sure. I learned everything I think I, I know about leadership today from, from that experience. And then beyond that, I found myself kind of in the, the business world, the corporate world. And I've been able to take a mix of a lot of those experiences uh, through, you know, rehab as well as uh, sports, as you mentioned, uh, to, you know, uh, influence how I lead uh, in this context. Um, and so, yeah, like I think sports was critical for that. I have a definitely this kind of find a way mindset, um, which at I think is a decent segue to your topic of working with uh, people who drive you nuts. Like I, I can drive people nuts. There's uh, this tension between folks that are like, Hey, we're just going to figure it out. We're just going to find a way. Like, I don't care what the barriers are. We're just going to run right through them. And, and folks that are like, Hey, we need a process. We need a system. Like I'm the one who drives those people nuts. Right. Um, and so I have grace for, uh, I have grace for, for that tension for sure. Um, but to be honest, I forgot your original question. So I think I, uh, no, 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 you, th no, that was really, and you, uh, you're a good interviewer cause you were just segueing yourself. Um, you know, I, I guess kind of, um, I love what you just said too, that you're, you're someone that finds a way and then we have process people. Cause I, you know, I even think about my marriage, um, you know, my wife will talk about an issue three or four times and I'm like, I don't understand the problem. Like we can just resolve this. Now I know what everyone's thinking. There's a stereotypical husband wife thing, but like, you know, we're talking about like what's for dinner or, you know, um, you know, how are we going to manage the schedule? Like those are things that have kind of a deadline. Like if we're still figuring out dinner at 7 PM. So I think I drive her nuts because I'm not always engaging the question, you know, kind of trying to pull out, hey, hey, you kind of don't know, but you kind of do know. And she, you know, of course, drives me nuts because I'm just like, you know, I'd rather talk to you about other stuff. So, you know, help us kind of understand before we go to the people that drive you nuts, share a little bit more of how you, if your coworkers were here, you know, in this interview, what else drives them nuts about Jeremy? Oh man, how long do you have, Peter? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, you know, I, I think that's probably the big one. Is uh, I, I can I can tend to neglect process and neglect systems. Uh, I I think that's a response to um, maybe a, a level of dis disgust I, I've had in the past with uh, systems without thinking outside of the box, thinking creatively and just finding a way to win because no matter what the plan is, what the path is or, or how uh, well-developed it is, there's gonna be unforeseen uh, roadblocks and headwinds, right? And so you have to have this ability to see uh, past those and say, okay, no matter what those are, we're gonna figure it out, we're gonna find a way. So I think that's the one that probably drives people uh, nuts the most and you know, I'm probably not the most organized uh, and I'm probably not the fastest uh, to, to respond sometimes because uh, ultimately for me, uh, I get fired up and I, and I get a lot of life from being with people, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so when I'm with people, I'm, I'm not uh, one to, 
to try to multitask. Um, and so at times things can pile up if I'm, if I'm back to back, uh, with people throughout the day. So I think that's probably another thing is, uh, is just, Hey, Jeremy, you could probably be a little bit quicker to, to, to respond to me. Um, and then I get the, the reputation as the rah, rah guy I'm in sales. So I think it fits, but, uh, I think the, some of the common feedback I've gotten is, Hey, like the rah, rah is great. The energy is great, but make sure it's backed with, with data, right. Or, um, something concrete, because after a while, if you're bringing rah, rah, that's just out of thin air without data, you actually lose trust. Mm. Right. And I've learned that the hard way, uh, in my, you know, in my career. So, you know, our question, why do the people I work with drive me nuts? I, I think it's important for our listeners to understand your story and perspective in this and, you know, bring us to today, you know, as someone that's recovering from shame, recovering from addiction, how do you process this question when there's someone that drives you nuts? What do you think's unique versus you know, if I called Pat Lencioni in here, if I called Charlene Lee or anybody else that we see on LinkedIn, how do you think you see it differently than other people? I mean, for me, I mentioned this early, but if, if you have a theme to this conversation, it's maybe that everybody has a story. Um, and I think when, um, for for me, my like my story uh, shaped who I am today in a very powerful way. Like I was on this path that I thought was like the you know the typical path that everybody should go through. You graduate high school, you go to college, you get good grades, you graduate college, you get a job, and man, that got like one hundred percent derailed. Uh, and I was in a place where I. And this is after growing up in a in a really good family, like you know, Christian family. I had everything that I that I would have liked, and was in a place where I was now not going to amount to anything. I was the black sheep, and that was extremely difficult and extremely humbling. Um, and so I, I realized that, like, man, I want others to understand and take the time to to know who who I am and where I came from, and and I hope that I can keep that front of mind in all of my working uh, relationships and, and interactions uh, that others probably have something that they've dealt with. And whether it's been uh, that public uh, or not, like they deserve me to seek to understand, right. And take the time needed to invest in that relationship um, because I feel like I would want the same thing. And that is so loud for me because of, uh, how painful that experience was. So not to say those, those other folks haven't, you know, you mentioned Lencioni, he's awesome, right? Uh, he's had some incredible hardships, I would imagine, right? Um, and so not to say he wouldn't come from it at the same, from the same angle. But um, for me, I, I just think that's been ingrained in me that um, everybody is deserving of the time of day to be understood for where they came from. You know, so here's here's kind of what I'm anticipating because I think whenever you bring a really difficult person into your workplace, yeah. this is someone that you spend 40 to 50, 60 hours, you know, a week with. And, yeah. you know, so my mind um, is kind of going to, you know, how do we fix this problem? How do we resolve it? 
um you know but also just kind are you of, a systems guy ah you know i'm kind of this odd mix um you know okay i'll let my wife and you know maybe some of the other co-workers we i don't know if we have time but 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 you're, 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 <laughs> you're this is where i'm kind of related to you um so like i kind of see this I, i'm a super relational person you know what i just have to eat lunch with this person you know i've got to just take coffee with this person but the immediate pushback i could feel like our listeners are saying this person's not even gonna give me the time of day i'll email them you know and they'll i'll say hey let's have lunch together and they just won't get back to me or you know it'll kind of be like i can't say no because i know you're trying to be nice so i guess without like overdoing it and formalizing it you know and also there's other people you know you and me you know we've kind of come out as relational people there's other people like i come to my job to get stuff done like the personal time so how would you encourage and navigate uh, a situation where you know someone feels like i know i got to do this work to get to know this person but i'm not so sure that they're going to be receptive to it because i just want to understand they might not that's the reality and you have to be okay with that and if we're going if we're only going about relationships for what could happen in the end, uh, then in my mind, we're missing the point, right? And so what, yeah, what if, what if they don't, right? Like for me, it's about the process over the product. And uh, for me, it's about at the end of the, at the end of the day, did I do everything that I could do in my power to care for that person, to understand that person, get to know that person, regardless of how they respond, whether they respond the way I want or not, right? Because I can have peace of mind uh, knowing I did everything I could do to be the best uh, colleague, um, husband, you know, uh, you know, uh, relationship what, that I that I could be, right? And so you're right. Like you, you might not. You might take them out. You might. Um, you know, try to get to know them, uh, you know, ask their story. And at the end, they're still as difficult as they were uh, before. But at, at least at that point, I think you better understand where they're coming from and maybe why they rub you the wrong way, uh, even if that behavior doesn't change. Because at the end of the day, I, we're the only ones uh, who we can change. There's something that I, I learned actually through the experience uh, going through rehab that I take with me called the serenity prayer. And it's powerful. It's simple. It's God's grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. And that first one, right, is other people <laughs> and how they react, how they respond. But we can have the courage to change us, to get to know them, to put in the time and the energy, regardless of the outcome. That's how I think about it. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that, Peter. Well, I'll go, I'll go pastoral. Um, you know, I think the ugliness of my heart is there's certain people that have earned grace. Um, you know, and you know, for me, you know, and we can talk about personality types. I'm an Enneagram too. I want to be helpful. You know, I don't always ask for help. So that kind of puts me in this, you know, 
terrible spot. I deal with a lot of pride, but you know, I, I it's funny how the word grace is unmerited favor, but you know, somehow there's people that can earn grace in my life, you know? So there's the individual that, you know, has been consistent and you know, they miss something and for some reason it's like, Hey, that's okay. Let's fix it next time. But you know, I have a handful of individuals in my life that, you know, they can come in and out where they've just been super difficult and either, you know, and being a pastor kind of, I think in sales too, there's just a lot of criticalness, you know, like you feel like I can't get my job done without seven pieces of feedback that don't really matter to this. And you're slowing me down for no apparent reason. That's kind of where I'm a little bit more Jeremy. Um, and so, you know, I think for me, where you're pushing us to just kind of say, what do you need to see inward? It's why does this person, why does this person get less grace from me than someone else? Um, and it's complicated because you do need to have boundaries. You do need to have expectations and you do need to have plans, but there's some people that, you know, you think about this, I, I just took email off my phone, um, the notifications at least, but like there's certain people that like you see their name and immediately you're like ready to fight. And then there's other people you see their name and you're like, ah. Oh. so I think really when, for me with this question, as I reflect, it's who in my life have I said, you need to earn more grace. Cause that's not the gospel. That's tough. Yeah. I, I wholeheartedly agree. And for me, I realized I had to, I had to get this right uh, and work on this because, you know, we work what 40 hours a week. Uh, and I found myself outside of work evenings, weekends, like over and over and over in my mind, thinking about one, two or three people that were like, like you mentioned, driving me nuts at work. And it was taking away from my energy and commitment with family, with anything outside of work. Uh, and it was exhausting because while I might be working 40 hours a week, I was thinking about it 30, 40, and it was really on, you know, a, fo a few folks that I couldn't, uh, I couldn't uh, learn how to effectively love and work, work with. And so, like you said, it, it, it drove me to, uh, to really face this, this, this question and this issue because it was unsustainable and it was really impacting, uh, the way I was able to invest, not just at work, but also uh, outside of work. Um, and I'm, I'm glad you turned off your notifications. That's, uh, I, I did that recently as well, but, um, yeah, for me, I think getting to the root of it is, is key. And I'm still, I'm still a work in progress, Peter, obviously, and uh, open to as many uh, tips and pointers you've learned along the way. But um, but I think it's key. I think it's super important uh, just just to make sure we're serving others the way that I think God would like and, and also able to bring our best selves in, in all facets of our life, right? Well, you know, I had a pastor that said, um, unforgiveness is a poison we drink while we wait for the other person to die. Resentment is allowing someone to live rent free in your mind. And, and I, I think about those two things as you're talking, you know, there's a level of like, we give the people who drive us nuts way too much power. And, 
and like I I love how you're kind of pushing us to like to be more gracious, be more attentive and know the story, but there's also a level of you know uh, we don't do interventions for bitterness. We don't do interventions for resentment. We don't we don't even do re- like interventions for gossip. Like could you imagine that like you go to a workplace and you're like, "Hey, you know, we're you know, hey, uh, you know, Brian, I, I just want to let you know, like, sit down in this chair, like you gossip a ton. Like, I just want to let you know, like, and like we, I think when I think of this question, I, you know, even what you're pushing and where this conversation, we self-sabotage ourselves so often because we're so blinded to our own faults and pain that we've kind of projected it on others. I don't know. Push back on me. No, I, 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 I like the, I, I like the way you frame that. Um, when, you know, somebody is, is causing us that much angst or uh, anger even, or resentment, then they have that, they have uh, way too much power over over us and they are living rent free in our minds and so i completely agree i felt that um so i, I that's why i think this topic is uh, is is critically important so I, I don't have any pushback to the way you frame that well let, let's get personal with you um talk about your worst workplace relationship yeah i mean there's been a few um and uh, I've, I've, I'd like to think I've learned the hard way, or I've learned through these experiences. But you know, I would say I would say the the, the common tension that I already rec- I already called out earlier, which is, you know, I'm like, find a way we're going to get there, and there might be a process, there might not, and then there's you know, in the past I worked with with, uh, with somebody we'll, we'll call him Don, um, who was very process driven and it, everything had to go through kind of a, a, a systematic, uh, process that for me just took, you know, way too much time. Right. It was like, it felt like meetings about meetings about meetings. And, um, and I, and I felt in my mind that we were just detracting from getting the job done. Right. And so that was the constant tension, um, that, uh, that I saw continue to play out. And, uh, one of the really practical things I learned through this process, um, as I felt like I kept kind of beating my head against the wall was I realized that Don, um, had a lot of strengths uh, that I, I don't have, right? He has a personality that I don't have. And so when there came a time for me to build a process, uh, what I did was I came to Don and I said, hey, look, like I'm wanting to build this process uh, for this project and I don't know anybody better at uh, building process than, than you. Would you mind working with me to help build that out? And honestly, what happened was actually uh, pretty crazy. So uh, through that experience, um, I, Don had felt empowered and felt that he was being recognized for the unique strengths that he brought to the table. Um, and honestly, that one kind of act 
uh, really did help change our, our relationship in a big way because I think it showed hopefully a little bit of humility, like, hey, this is where I'm, uh, I'm not strong, Don, and this is where you are strong. Um, and I think helped him feel that um, I, I respected and, and uh, valued him for uh, something he brought to the table, even though that wasn't my strength. And so I think a lot of times, like uh, when somebody's different than you, they have characteristics or strengths that actually can complement yours. So in that scenario, when you have somebody who's very process driven, working with somebody who's very, hey, no matter what, we're going to get to the goal driven. <laughs> And you combine those two where both people recognize that that's kind of the strength and weakness of the other person, then that's an unstoppable duo. It really is. And so we got, we got to that point, but it took a lot of work. And I think the big breakthrough for me was just like going to him and asking for, for that advice. And then of course, uh, really leaning into that relationship, um, even outside of work, sometimes going and, and asking, you know, questions to get to know who this per who he was what made him tick why he was the way he was and, and eventually we had that breakthrough but it wasn't with it wasn't without a, a fair bit of heartache you know it, it's interesting you you kind of went peer uh, you know i i'm gonna kind of go lead i worked for an organization um it was a christian organization and i really looked up to a leader and then i worked with them and I was left very, very disappointed for a number of reasons. And, you know, I was young, um, I should say younger, depending on who's listening to this episode. And my expectations of this person as a leader before I got into the organization versus after, um, just I didn't feel like I had the trust. I didn't feel like, I felt like things were sugarcoated. I felt like, you know, and again, I didn't work with this person like a ton. So, um, but as I thought about this question and even just kind of putting it back on me, the older I've gotten, I think the more gracious, like I've heard more about their story. There was a couple times that they were overlooked for um, different leadership positions. Um, when I think about the stress that they were under, um, I can appreciate that more. And I, I think it goes to the point of kind of what you're saying that sometimes it's an actual skill thing like, hey, we just rub each other the wrong way because we have different skills. But I also think other times, whether it's generational, whether it's just expectations, like, you know, even what you said before, which I think is so freeing, like you could do all this work and nothing changes. But I think I'd have the caveat you could do all this work, but the only thing that changes is you. Um, and, and I think that that's probably the most powerful thing is that, you know, I, I want to have a picture of my life with someone that drives me nuts, that when I'm 50, 60, 70, 80, that people want to be around me. And part of that is like what you do right now as a coworker, and I think we forget that and we don't have the big view and I think even where I'm thankful that I'm changing you know for the people that drive me nuts the most you know when I can ask those questions you know I go to the gym with my friend Mike um, he's not only older than me he's like 6'5 so me walking in the gym with him is like Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger you know so we, we're twins you know but um 
you know, I, I think he constantly pushes me when I'm dealing with difficult situations, not to try to change the other person, but to kind of say, hey, something in you is getting triggered. And I don't use that word. Um, I don't I don't use that word tacitly like I use it because I, I think there's certain individuals that just trigger us. They get us angry. And if we don't deal with that, you know, should we learn how to say things in a way someone would say, absolutely, but that doesn't change the truth of it in any situation, whether it's sales, working for a church, working for a nonprofit, working as a CPA or an analyst, like y you have to be able to be mature enough that even if someone behaves badly, if they bring truth, you've got to deal with it to help your organization. Yeah, you said a lot. <laughs> That's a lot in there. Um, and one of the things that um, I think you mentioned is like like you said, in addition to the the complementary skills or the difference in skills, a lot of times folks are just going through stuff. Yeah. They're just going through stuff. Like, for example, I mean, um, you know, as a leader, somebody – somebody might walk in, you know, late one day and there's the, the natural response or reaction, I should say, not response is to come down on that person, uh, and you know, make them feel bad for being late. And while their accountability is key, don't hear me wrong. For me, I've learned over time is to ask the, ask the question, seek to understand before seeking and be understood. Because a lot of times you have no idea what's going on in that person's life, right? Maybe they just had a, a miscarriage or maybe somebody in their family just passed away or, um, you know, maybe something came up that they just had absolutely no uh, control over. And so um, I, I just think it's, it's really, really key that we, we understand what somebody's going through in that moment, right? or, uh, you know, in that, in that period of time so that we can best serve that person. And then, you know, another thing that I thought about too is that a lot of times vulnerability kind of begets vulnerability. Mm. Um, and when it's, for me personally, uh, one of the most challenging things is working with folks that um, I feel need to kind of keep it all together, have it all together. Like they have it all figured out. They got no nothing to learn, maybe not open to, to change um, or not humble. Right. And so one of the things I have found in those relationships is that if I lead with vulnerability and communicating in the areas that I'm working on, that I uh, maybe are some of my weaknesses, then I was surprised by how that person would actually come back and share something similar and kind of let their guard down. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, for for me, I, I, I find that um, that's that's been really, really helpful in breaking through. And, and to your point, and it doesn't always, right? It doesn't always, and I'm not advocating for vulnerability uh, just to everybody. Um, and but at the same time, I think a, a level of vulnerability can actually help break down walls because uh, people will, I think, are impressed by your strengths, uh, mm -hmm. but they'll connect with your weaknesses. So, so to what you mentioned about, you know, that, that pastor situation, um, you know, you probably were impressed 
from a distance. Um, and then you get closer and you realize, man, this person's going through a lot. They've had some hardships in their life. Um, and you probably feel more connected because you're able to understand maybe what some of their shortcomings are. So a lot of, you know, a lot in that answer, but, um, those are, I would say some principles that I've just had to kind of keep, uh, front of mind as I'm dealing with, with other folks in the workplace that, that have really helped me kind of break through. Well, and, and even what you're saying, like you had me thinking about this today, today is kind of like the universal first day of school for New York. I think in Texas. Oh, nice. Probably, yeah. And you know, we're just, Texas was like a month ago, man. Yeah, I know. That's trying to, like... <laughs> it's too hot here for, for summer in, in August. So they just sent them all back to, to school. No, no, that that's great. So, you know, I think about this, like we're not uh, attentive to people's personal lives. Like, uh, you know, I wonder, you know, if you took a temperature, like this is, I mean, this is something that's so easy to do, but we don't do it. You know what? I have a coworker that has a kindergartner, a first grader and a third grader, like just to be, and that's a hypothetical. So anyways, I'm just giving you a hypothetical. So I don't even know if there is one at Brown Cross anyways, but like, like for you to even be aware, Hey, this is the first day of school for their youngest. How might that affect? And you don't have to be in charge to do that. Like, and that's something that, you know, you even think about the Christmas holidays, like I, you know, with your vulnerability, people do mention stuff like, you know, in a couple, in a while, you're going to have a second baby. There's going to be some mornings that you come in exhausted and like someone, and like those, um, uh, my wife, who's a mental health therapist, she'll say, those are like relationship bids that we're trying. And I think more people than not drop those bids in, you know, and even, you know, one other thing that I'll add, cause we're not always like aware. So I, I think kind of keeping awareness of the calendar, but this, but I think the second thing is I, I think we feel this need to give people feedback and we feel this need that with the people we drive nuts that we need to be heard but the funny thing is i had a professor that used to say people don't argue with their own data and it's amazing that when you're in and i can imagine this for a sales role and a performance role like when you just start asking questions like hey this project got done you know tell me what you thought you did well and tell me what you thought you need to improve on next time you know, I mean, you tell me how often when you do that, does that person say anywhere from 70 to 90% of what you had said? And instead of coming at them, like you were terrible on that phone call, like they already, sometimes they already know that. And then you can have the better conversation. Hey, what does it look like next time? So, you know, I think the two things that I'm thinking of dealing with difficult people, number one, are you aware of their calendar? But then number two, are you actually giving them the opportunity to solve their own problem? So, Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. I, um, one of the, the, the things I found really valuable and, and this is more in a leadership context, um, would be early on helping understand what their goals are, right? Understand, Hey, what are you looking to accomplish? Uh, personally and professionally mm. 
and then getting their permission to allow you to speak into their their accomplishment of those goals helping encourage them challenge them hold them accountable mm. to to hitting the goals that they want to hit right so that starts with asking questions understanding what those goals are and then getting their permission to speak into that and so mm. once you've gotten on the same side of the table with that it makes those conversations so much easier because the goal of the conversation is clear. It's I'm helping you get to where you want to go. Not to say you don't have to remind them of that, but when that call happened in your, in your example, like you said, after that call asking, Hey, what did you think you did? Well, what are the things you think you would have done differently? 90% of the, the, the stuff that you would have said, they're going to say, and for that last 10%, frame it up as, Hey, do you mind if I share one thing that I think will really help you accomplish your goals here in the future? A hundred percent. Right. And now you're communicating feedback, but it's truly done in a way that serves that person and helps that person get what they want. And you've already been given permission to help them. Right. So that's where I found um, is really key when it comes to, to feedback. Otherwise you're trespassing and you might not have earned uh, mm. that right to speak into their growth or even been given, per, you know, given permission uh, to be the one who speaks into uh, their growth. Well, and what I love about what you said too is, um, there's a focus, um, you know, for, forgive me for using this example, feedback, you know, sometimes comes across as actually, no, I'm, I'm changing this in my mind. Feedback sometimes comes across like, um, um, a pinata, you know, where like you just keep hitting the pinata and you keep hitting it. And then there's a ton of things that come out, but you don't get one thing. Whereas I, I think a, a better way for f you know, feedback is you actually hand the box of chocolates. Like you do one thing really well. And I think so often we're, we're like just spreading out the feedback and the person receiving it. And especially if they're a difficult person, they're probably angry about two or three things. They forget about the other eight things, which leaves the one thing that you really care about out. Whereas I think even what you're saying is, Hey, I just have one thing, you know, just here's one thing to work on. Um, I just think that that's so powerful. It is. I've also come <laughs> learned this the hard way, you know, playing baseball in college. Um, you know, I had all sorts of coaches uh, and I found through that experience what was effective and what wasn't. So uh, at one point I had a coach that said, Hey, you know, you're in a slump. So why don't we do this? Why don't we open your batting stance, tighten your grip, load earlier, uh, like your back elbow should go down. And it was entirely too much. It was overwhelming. And, mm. and matter of fact, I think I was worse off by trying to apply all of those changes at once. And then conversely, I found that there was the coach who would be very effective at finding like that, the one thing. Um, and we'd focus on that one thing for a period of time until that one thing became habit. Mm and ingrained and, and kind of um, subconscious. And then from there, we can focus on the next thing. To your point, it's, uh, I think, very overwhelming for folks to be given multiple things to apply and change all at once. And 
um, you know, I think the, the, the focus of on one thing at a time, making sure that's a habit, uh, before moving on to the next, it just serves people, uh, really well because it's, it's, it's easy to remember and, uh, not, not over super overwhelming. At least that's been the, the case for, for me personally. Mm. Hey, this has been a really rich conversation. I, I want to kind of land, um, you know, as we close with two more questions, but you know, you've been very real about your recovery. Um, and just kind of how that shaped your, you know, that question and, you know, why do people drive me nuts, how you see it differently. One thing I'd like you to bring in, um, because some of our listeners, they don't go to church, they don't necessarily follow Jesus, they're de-churched and, um, you know, or they're unchurched, but how does faith inform how you relate to people that drive you nuts? What does that look like in your life? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's been threaded throughout pretty much this entire conversation, but there's a few things um, from my faith and from some of the the principles of the Bible that I, I think are really, really relevant here. Um, and ones we've probably all heard, right? So for one is do unto others as you would have them do to you. Like I mentioned this, but I have a story. Peter, you have a story. Uh, we all have a story and we want others to take the time to understand it and to not make assumptions about us and about our intentions, right? And so if we want others to understand and take the time to know us and get to know us for who we are and where we came from and our failures, then let's do the same for others, right? So that's one big one. Another one is uh, God said, love your enemies. (laughs) I laugh because, you know, it's not easy. Um, and enemies is a really strong word, but people who drive you nuts and enemies can might as well be synonyms, right? And so we're called to love and we're called to pray for those who persecute you. And, um, so that for me informs that I can't, I can't run away from it. I can't ignore it. Like I actually have to pursue it, uh, the way that, that Jesus would through love, through understanding, through investment, right? Um, and then uh, I think God talks a lot about how we're all wonderfully made, right? Like we are all made in his image. And so if we're all wonderfully made and made in his image, then I think that it's on us to figure out why, what makes each and every person around us wonderful, right? And what are the unique strengths and gifts that God gave that person? Because he says that everybody is made in his image, everybody's wonderful. So let's take the time to figure out what it is and how we can work well with that that person. And so I could go on and on and on, but these are a few uh, things from my faith, from the Bible that have informed how I approach relationships, uh, especially these tough relationships that we've been talking about uh, today. Mm. So we close with a question that's kind of semi-related to that. Um, so I get to answer it too, and then you get to clean up whatever heresy or whatever terribleness I say in there. So the question is, what is, you know, what does Jesus have to do with people that uh, drive me nuts? Um, You know, you, you answered this, but I want to hear more from you. But, you know, as I've been thinking about this question, I I think about Jesus called 12 disciples to follow them and he invested three years into them. And there's these stories of, like one disciple saying, can I sit at your right hand? And the other disciples getting upset. 
you know, there's one disciple that was a tax collector for the Roman government and another disciple that was a Jew that was trying to overthrow the Roman government. And somehow all of these disciples grew. And, you know, I think Jesus would say, hey, like this person is in your life for a reason. We we use this $20 uh, theological word sanctification. Um, but, you know, for those of you that, you know, are kind of curious about faith, what what Jesus teaches, it goes back to what you said about loving our neighbor, doing unto others as we've done unto you. But like the person that changes the most is you. And so for you to have someone that drives you nuts, acknowledge that and respond differently. That's, that's a supernatural power of the gospel at work in you to love that person created in God's image. So, um, I loved what you said about enemies because GK Chesterton said, you know, God calls us to love our neighbors and love our enemies because a majority of the time they're the same person. Um, and I, I think about that and I think Jesus would say this person that's really difficult and challenging that drives you nuts is there to help you grow. Are you going to figure it out? Are you going to follow my lead? So that's where I'd go. What about you? How would you close this episode? I love your perspective. Uh, I'm glad we've been able to have this conversation. Yeah, I, I think it's easy for us to ask, and not just in this scenario, but in all challenges in our life, uh, why me or, you know, why God? Like, why am I having to, to go through this? It's a it's something I've been guilty of and, and, and still am, honestly, from, from, from time to time. But what I try to kind of flip uh, the script on is asking myself, the question and you just alluded to it, but what do you have to teach me through this? Or what does this mm. person have to teach me? Because I think we're always growing. And I think that God um, allows different circumstances and different, different uh, people uh, in our lives to help us grow and ultimately make a bigger impact uh, for his kingdom. So that, that's the way I like to, to think about it. I'm not perfect at it. Uh, but I feel like if I'm keeping that perspective uh, front of mind, then uh, I'm ultimately able to, to continue to serve others better uh, by better understanding those around me and then make a, a bigger impact for the kingdom of God. So I, Peter, I've enjoyed chatting with you today. I love your, your perspective uh, on this. A really a fun topic not always an easy one, but hopefully we've learned some lessons along the way, right? Hey, this is your first podcast interview. Um, you know, our listeners don't know that. So, you know, when you when you do the big <laughs> ones like Carrie Newhoff or, you know, just remember <laughs> us, okay? That's all I'm asking, okay, Jeremy? Just remember <laughs> us, so. Uh, thanks. Thanks, hey. Peter. No, this was, this was, uh, this was fun. I'm, I'm excited to, to see the impact, um, that you're going to continue to make through this podcast, but also through everything else that you're doing, uh, on the people around you. So keep it up. Uh, I love your message. Um, and I'm excited to, to follow your journey. Awesome. Hey, so Jeremy, people can find you on LinkedIn. Is that like the best place to find you if they, yeah, link, LinkedIn. Um, I'm on there. You can also find Leader, L-E-A-D-R, because you're not a real tech company if you don't drop a, a vowel somewhere. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that's probably the best place to find me. I'm pretty useless on all other forms of social media, <laughs> so I wouldn't 
I wouldn't try that. I have one photo on Instagram and it's of me mountain climbing and it actually ruined my uh, my life insurance application. Uh, so yeah, don't, <laughs> don't, don't go there. <laughs> well, Jeremy, thanks so much for being with us. Um, you know, the best way to get in touch with us is go to why got why podcast.com and uh, leader. Thank you for closing us out. You were the Mariano Rivera, which is a compliment cause I'm a Yankees fan. Hey, thanks great for reference. Doing, New York know. reference there. Hey, we got to do that. So thank you so much. Have a wonderful day.